Chapter One. The house was fully ablaze by the time I got there. The third fire in as many weeks. The first one in an empty warehouse was written off as just one of those things that happens—an accident. The second was an empty vacation home that burned to the ground. It was about then people started whispering arson. Now with the third, they'd be yelling it. The house was one of a row, all built in the 1950s. They had spectacular sea views and were built of very flammable timber from top to bottom. In that very special time when building codes weren't really adhered to very well. To sum it up, they may as well have built these houses out of literal matches that had been soaked in gasoline. I had my camera in my hands, but I just couldn't bring myself to take a photo. One of the neighbors was shouting, "There was still someone inside." The firefighters were doing their best to contain the blaze. There were two fire engines, and the men were pouring hundreds of gallons of water in through the broken windows. But it didn't seem to be having any effect. Sheriff Hardy was on the scene, yelling at onlookers to get back. It seemed the entire street had come out to watch. I saw Carter Wilkins on the far side of the street taking photos left-handed. His right arm was in a sling for some reason. Whatever it was, I didn't know, and I didn't care. I'd had just about enough of him and his eyebrows for a lifetime. I'd been at home lazing around when I'd seen the curls of smoke rising up above Harlot Bay. I'd immediately raced, as fast as you can race in a very old car, into town. A fire engine screaming by me on the way. She's still in there! One of the neighbors yelled out. The firemen put on breathing gear, heavy masks, and gloves. They smashed the front door open and rushed into the cloud of smoke. It must have only been a minute, but it felt like ages before they came running back out through the front door, carrying an unconscious elderly woman between them. They moved around behind the fire engine and immediately put an oxygen mask on her face. It was a minute more before the ambulance arrived and the paramedics took over, loading her into the back of the ambulance before slamming the door shut and racing off to the hospital. The firefighters continued to pour water on the blaze. And it wasn't long before the flames finally gave up. The smoke changed color to thick black, and the red flames ceased flickering in the windows. I was standing there watching the firefighters pour water into the smoking house, when I felt that intuition tingle on the back of my neck. I turned around, expecting to see someone watching me, but there wasn't anyone there. There was a crowd of police officers and locals. But whoever it was that had been watching me had shifted their gaze. I took the time to look over the crowd. They say arsonists will often return to the scene of the crime. This part of Harlot Bay was mostly older people, so most of the crowd was at least sixty and over, retired or very close to it. I was pretty sure the old guy wearing board shorts and a Hawaiian shirt wasn't the suspect. I finally managed to get myself to take a few photos of the smoking house. My ancient camera taking about a minute between photos. I didn't really want to report on arson, and given the Harlot Bay reader was virtually failing on all cylinders, it was becoming clear I wasn't really a reporter, but just someone running a blog that was never going to go anywhere. Sheriff Hardy was busy talking to someone, so I decided to go home. My car took three tries to get going. And on the way back to Torrent Mansion, it made some horrible squealing noises that sounded very expensive. Now that Molly and Luce were making a bit of money with their coffee shop, they'd offered to lend me some money to get my car repaired, but I just couldn't say yes. 
I had to make a go of things myself. As much as I appreciated the offer of charity, I couldn't accept it. 